You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. When I was little, I used to tell myself a story, and that was that, well, since I loved playing roller hockey and I was a little bit better than most of the kids in my neighborhood, that, that I was going to be an NHL player someday, and that I could see in my mind my ascent to rise, to, to enter the NHL and play for the Washington Capitals as a professional hockey player. And that story came to an end when I family, my family moved to Alabama, and so I had to change it. I had to change my story, and I, I came up with a new one, which was that I was going to be a professional wakeboarder. And this led me to be very hard on myself whenever I wasn't improving, and very hard on my driver when I was ready to blame them for me not improving. And after a while, this story fell apart too, because it turned out I wasn't very good. And it would have been the case with hockey too. And I remember in college, a turning point, when I, I began to tell myself a different story. A story that... I was not ever going to be a professional, but I was just, a, what I, and I began to think of myself as a jack of all trades, someone who would never be an expert at anything, but just be capable at a variety of things. And it was amazing how, besides the, the other ramifications of what this said about my future, this was an immensely liberating story because it freed me from the need to be the best. It freed me from the need to be super uh, rigid and exclusive in my hobbies and pursuits. This story I told myself about myself helped me understand my past and my future in a way, and it had a direct impact over the way I lived. And there's a great reason for this, because we actually understand ourselves through stories. We tell ourselves stories about ourselves, about what it means to be who we as people are. And in one sense, stories are the building blocks of human identity. We constantly use them to tell ourselves who we are, what matters in life, what our future holds, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. Psychologists call this narrative identity, and they, they use it to sum up how we as human beings are constantly in the process of fitting our own life experience, gathering them into a whole, and, and telling some story that makes sense of all of it. And we do this, we get a variety, our stories from a variety of sources. Some we get from our life experience, like I mentioned. Uh, I've given some silly examples from my own life, but a lot of them are, are things that happen to us whether it be a great a move from one place to another or some traumatic childhood experience like, a, like physical or verbal abuse or parental divorce or bullying. Certain things happen to us and they, they tell us a story about who you are. What's your self-worth? And that, that story can shape the rest of your life. You always see yourself as that kid who couldn't keep his family together. Or maybe it's a career success or a career failure that tells you the story of who you are and you live in the light of that. But you also get your stories not just from what happens to you. You get your stories from your community, from your parents and your relatives, what it means to be a part of your family. Your culture invites you to see yourself as part of a wider story that stretches back before your time. Our nation tells us a certain story about what it means to be American and what are, what's important to us and what's not important to us. Uh, and, and, and this is actually one of the main ways. Telling a common story is one of the main ways that a community unites people. It gives them all a common story within which they can understand their world and they can tell themselves, this is who I am. Now, one of the, the reasons this is worth talking about is because a unique feature of our modern culture is that unlike the vast majority of cultures that came before us, we have no one single story that shapes all our lives. 
We have no one single story that all of us look to and say, this tells us who we are. I mean, maybe you could say uh, our national story comes close to this, uh, but even that is, is, is deeply contested in a number of ways. And uh, maybe you could say political parties offer us certain stories, and, and they do, but even these are, are, are contested. So unlike cultures um, in, in the past, we don't have a uniform story that tells us all who we are. And we're constantly barraged with a different variety of stories. And so uh, it's easy to draw the conclusion that none of them are actually true. It doesn't really matter which one's actually true. Just pick one that works for you and go with it. And so for us as modern Americans, we have to write our stories by, it's, it's like we, we have to write our stories by picking up the, the pages of a thousand shredded books. And the, the reason that I'm talking about this is because this is the season of Easter. And this is the time where we celebrate a central story of the Christian faith, the story of Jesus' resurrection. And the task that I want, that we have today, is what does this story mean for us? What does it mean for our story, for your story? And I want to begin, we're going to go through this by looking at Acts 2. And I want to begin with kind of a paradoxical claim. And that is that first and foremost, the story of Jesus' resurrection is not about your story. It's not part of your story, first and foremost. It's Israel's story. It's part of Israel's story. And if we don't see how it's part of Israel's story, we won't understand what it can possibly mean for ours. So the resurrection is an event in Israel's history. And it, its meaning comes from its place in Israel's story. That is what Peter means when he concludes his sermon. Uh, from this, this, is, ser this text is from Acts 2. It's the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost. And it's a, this is a great summary of a sermon. It skips all his argument and jumps right to his one-sentence conclusion. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You're not allowed to listen to my sermons this way, where you just skip to the end and listen to the conclusion and say, okay, I'm done. But because this is our lesson for today, we're going to take it, and we're going to ask not, okay, how did he get to this conclusion? Because that's what the passage that comes before. We're going to ask, what does this conclusion mean in Israel's story? This resurrection of Jesus has shown that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Okay. What does that mean? For Israel, the word Lord was it's how they referred to God. God, the one who is the creator of the universe, who is pure life-giving love and justice and wisdom, who created a good cosmos, and who, who called Israel to be his people and rescued them from slavery, he revealed himself to them as Yahweh. And it was a name that they, it was so holy and so special that they wouldn't say it. And they would just refer to him by a more general word, the Lord. But they would use this word, the Lord, to refer to God. And so when we understand for Israel, when they say Lord, they mean the God who saved us from slavery. The God who rescued us and called us to be his people. But, but also part of the story is that Israel failed in a number of ways. Their, their human kings led them to worship other gods. Their human kings led them to practice rampant social injustice and violence to the, to the poor and the weak in their society that, that didn't reflect the goodness of God didn't reflect the goodness of the Lord. So the Lord, so they were taken into exile and the Lord had promised to send them a Messiah, a Christ, a new human king who would renew his reign over them and would reign them justly and, and wisely and righteously. So when Israel said Lord, they meant the God of creation who had promised himself to them. When they said Christ, they meant Messiah, the human king who would come and restore the Lord's gracious reign on earth. So their story, the story of Israel, meant we're the ones who worship the Lord alone and are looking for the Messiah that he will send. So when Peter now says, when Peter now says, 
God has declared, has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, he is dropping on them an incredible conclu- uh, conclusion. And that is that this Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and raised from the dead, is both the God whom they worship and the Messiah for whom they, wa- they are waiting. He's, let me paraphrase it in modern words. He's saying, hey, Israel, listen up. The story of God that shapes your life, that shaped your ancestors' lives, that shaped your nation, that gives meaning to your present and your hope for your future, it has started a new chapter in Jesus. It has is, it is come to its climax in Jesus. And now he has turned the story. This is a climactic moment of victory when the story moves decisively forward towards its conclusion. For he is the Lord you worship and he is the promised Messiah that you've been waiting for. Your story is now beginning a new chapter. So, oh, and by the way, this is the Jesus whom you crucified. That's the end of it. This Jesus whom you crucified. So when they hear that, it's not hard to see why, okay, supposing that they believe what he says, that he is Lord and he is Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, it's not hard to see then why they would say, yikes, that's not good news. They are, as Luke says, cut to the heart. Because if Peter is right and Jesus is who he says he is, then they crucified their Lord and Messiah, which is bad news. It's a really bad thing. In fact, and it, and it wouldn't be the first time in their history that they had rejected God's prophets because they knew that the prophets of old had been rejected by Israel. By, that was part of their story. Is we have a bad habit of rejecting God's prophets, whether it be Ezekiel or whether it be Elijah, whether it be Jeremiah. Peter's words meant that once again, we as Israel had failed. We had proven unfaithful and we rejected the God who'd come to save us. And so they asked this desperate question, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? It's a desperate question, isn't it? It's a question of, we don't know, we don't know. Our story doesn't give us a clear way forward anymore. It's a question of, we don't know what the story means anymore. Are we the bad guys? Are we the villains in our own story? Is our story ultimately a tragedy of failure? It, and it's easy to see how they might think that. We actually come to this place in our own stories, right? We, we look at our own stories and we say, we see maybe our worst sides exposed. We see ourselves hurt the people we love and we ask, am I actually the villain in my own story? Am I the one who's going to, to undo this and ruin this whole thing for myself? When, when our nice veneers are pulled back and some kind of inner selfishness lashes out and we see for a second the kind of people that we actually are and we wonder, yikes, Am I going to ruin, am I going to make my own life story a tragedy? But Peter's response to them is really important. Because they say, what shall we do? Have we ruined everything? We crucified our Lord in Christ. And his word to them is a tremendously gracious call to hope. And it's a little difficult to see this at first. And we need to, to kind of see. His response to them is in verse 38. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't seem like a gracious thing at first because he says repent. And repent normally means feel bad, feel guilty, look at the bad things you've done, look at how bad you are. But that's actually kind of not what Peter words mean, Peter's word mean here. Repent doesn't here mean feel bad or feel remorse. It is the word metanoia, which means turn your thinking, change. It's, it's similar to an Old Testament word that was simply turn from one direction to another. It means turn your mind. In other words, what it means is Turn your mind from one way of telling your story to another. From the story of Israel with Jesus who, as not its Messiah to the story of Israel waiting, from the story of Israel who is waiting for its Messiah and who crucifies its own Messiah, turn to the story of the Messiah and Lord 
who is Jesus risen. So change the story for yourself. Think differently about who you are and who God has made you. That's what repent here means. And you show this by being baptized. Now, there's a really good reason for his listeners to do this, to, to turn their story from one, to an, from one story to another. Now, it's, it's not a completely different story. It's understanding the story anew through Jesus. And when you do that, you be baptized in the name of Jesus. That is, you say, Jesus is the one we're waiting for. He's the one who completes and fulfills and advances the story of Israel. And what do they get when they do this? Well, he gives them two promises that Israel, as Israelites, they knew what these promises meant. Forgiveness of sins and the promise of the Spirit. Now, we have to kind of go back to understand what they meant back then, but because forgiveness was a specific promise that the prophets had given to Israel. Jeremiah had promised that the day when they are brought out of exile and God will forgive their sins and remember their sins no more. That was when God restores his reign on earth and he acts to, to bring about his salvation. Same thing with the gift of the Spirit. It was a sign of the end that was promised by Joel that in the last days God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. And so in Israel's ears, Peter's saying, change your story from Israel failed, from Israel waiting, from Israel guilty, change it to Israel fulfilled and accomplished in Jesus, and therefore Israel forgiven, Israel returned from exile, Israel filled anew with the Spirit of God. So that's the story in which this this resurrection fits. It means that Israel has now been completed and renewed in Jesus. And so I can hear you saying, okay, great, that's nice. I'm so glad for Israel. I'm so glad their story is finished, or is, is, not, is not finished, but is completed and fulfilled. But why should that matter to us? We are not Israel. We don't call ourselves Israel. We don't, we don't live by the story of Israel. And, this, and so why should it matter to us 2,000 years later? And I'm very glad you asked. Because Peter's not done with his story. Because there's another part of the story of Israel, and it's really important that when we grasp how it is part of Israel's story, we realize this is where we come in. This is where the story reaches over the centuries and comes to us. That's what verse 39 is all about. He says, this promise, that is forgiveness and sins through baptism into Jesus, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, a central part of Israel's story was that they were never called for their own benefit. They were always called, Israel, for the benefit of all the nations. All the way back at the beginning, when, when God called Abram, he said, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and through you and through your family, all the families on the earth will be blessed. So God blessed Abraham and his descendants so that they could bless all the families in the world. And... Not So Israel is never merely existing for itself. It's for the world. It's for everyone. And, and Isaiah says this, I think, most powerfully in chapter 25, one of my favorite passages from the Old Testament. He says, on this mountain, the mountain of Zion, which is a picture of Israel, so you might as well paraphrase him, in, on Israel's mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, for all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. 
So when Peter says is that this promise is for all, he means that Jesus' resurrection has conquered the real enemy that is behind Israel, that is behind any of the enemies in Israel's story. He has conquered death. And through conquering death, he has opened up Israel to all the nations. So all people begin to be blessed through Israel. And this message of forgiveness of sin, of the promise of the Spirit, of the resurrection of Jesus, all of this now through Jesus and through Israel comes to the whole world. So that's what follows from the resurrection of Jesus. That's how you get into this story. For the resurrection unmasked the real villains of your story. It's not the enemies of Israel, whether that be Rome or Babylon. It's not the enemies of America or any of our people. It's the enemy of death that stands behind all human animosity and violence. It's, it's the, a power of sin that is at war with all creation. The corruption that poisons all our human relationships. See, the resurrection is when sin and death were conquered. And sin and death are the deepest enemies of the human condition. And they are the masterminds behind all human tragedy. And the resurrection of Jesus is when they were conquered. Which, so how does this shape your story? Well, let me ask. Is your story shaped by death? Is your story shaped by the loss of loved ones that you have already experienced? By the loss of children? By your own death someday? And that's the part of our, we like to write out of our stories is that we're all going to die and the people that we love are going to die. But Jesus offers to make you part of a story where death is not your end. That's where this comes. That's what the resurrection means is that there's a story of God in which you have a place where death doesn't get to be your end. Where death is now defined as temporary. But let me ask maybe this, is, is sin a part of your life? And what I mean by this is that have you hurt people that you love? Have you been hurt by other people? Have you failed to, to love God with all your heart and mind and strength? Have you failed to love your neighbors like we taught the kids? Have you not been a source of life and blessing that God made you to be? If so, then this is your story too, because it's the story of how Jesus frees us from sin and how through his cross and resurrection, he conquered it. And so that you can find, you can find yourself in a story where sin doesn't get to define you, where the damage that has been done to you by others doesn't get to define you anymore, where the damage that you have done to others doesn't get to define you. So Peter's call to repent, Peter's call to turn, doesn't just come to Israel. It comes to all of us, to all of us, to not to just merely think about the bad things we've done and feel guilty, but to turn, to turn from whatever story you're telling yourself about yourself and let Jesus tell you your story. Maybe, maybe the story you tell yourself is a tragedy and you are broken and jaded by the sin of others or by your own addiction or by your own failure. Maybe you're the villain of your own story and you watch as you sabotage the best things in your life. Maybe you're the hero of your own story and you think you're God's gift to mankind and, and that you're a paragon of virtue and piety and religion. It's all the same. Peter addresses everyone. Turn. Turn from the story where you are the author, where you are the champion, where you are the hero, or where you are the villain, and let Jesus write it for you. He calls you to trust that his resurrection gives you the story of your sin. Forgiven. Let his resurrection give you the story of your pain. The promise of healing. Let him tell the story of your death, temporary. And let him give you the story of your whole identity, a beloved child of God for which the Lord of the universe came and bled and died to redeem, that he might write your story from beginning to end. Amen. And may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may it guard you and keep you this day. Amen.
This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.